Amen. I decided to sit down for a while. I was like, my knee is not 100% today, so bear with me. I may not move as much as I usually do. But we had a day yesterday. Okay, we had, we had a, a busy day yesterday. Uh, it kind of started off with a, an amazing event that happened at our church. Um, we had a blood drive here, and um, I didn't really know how it was going to go. I, I showed up kind of early and, and was you know, working in my office, and they were preparing for a big crowd. And a big crowd came. Um, there, was, there were a lot of people that came through, and I was praising God the whole time. Uh, they donated a few flowers uh, to our church for us as a way to say thank you uh, to the church for letting them uh, use the building. But um, again, it was a great day um, up to that point. Um, at about four o'clock, Stephen and I got a, a phone call um, and we went over uh, to the hospital to go see, um, to go see Fred. And uh, as, as John prayed this morning, um, you know, I've been, in, I've been in these situations before where you just, you don't know. Um, and, and it's scary when you, you don't know. Um, and to hear the good news that the doctor brought, um, it, was, it was so refreshing. Um, the, the weight that was, was taken off of um, uh, Hannah's shoulders to be able to, to watch her and, and her expression change uh, when the doctor uh, told, uh, told us exactly what was wrong and what the issue was. Um, it was, uh, it was a, a relief that was taken off of of Hannah there because of the, the concern for, for Fred. Um, so I want to tell you this morning that, that our God is good. It's not something that you don't know. Um, our God is, is uh, the God of everything. He is completely in control. And that's what we're going to talk about today is, is the fact that, that God is in control. Um, and we're going to look at a narrative in Scripture. Now, a narrative is just a story, okay? It is a, it is a true story in Scripture, um, and it's told in a very specific way in order for us to, uh, to gain a meaning um, from the, the story. And as I said before, um, we are going to uh, we're gonna look at our big idea being that the God of heaven is in control. We need to trust in him and him alone. Because there are many things that are going to try to distract us from him. Uh, things that we believe about God before we even start our story, we believe God is true. Okay? We believe he tells the truth. We believe he acts in truth. Um, as we sung and we read from scripture already, he is not a God who asks us to seek him in vain. He gives us truth. He is the source of truth. Our world, on the other hand, um, asks the same question that Pontius Pilate asked. What is truth? Um, and unfortunately, sometimes, as, as Dr. Sayer uh, alluded to earlier, um, my truth is, is my truth. It's what comes from my heart. And I believe it to be so, therefore it, it is so. And we've got a very dangerous... Um, kind of theme that runs throughout our world right now, um, a pattern, a tactic that the uh, world uses, and it usually comes across when there is a scandal of some sort of a, uh, a famous person or a political person or uh, someone of, of prominence. They will get their team together, they'll huddle up, and they'll use a phrase, and when that scandal happens, if it's infidelity or uh, if it's a crime that was committed, uh, what this team will come together and they'll say, listen, we need to get out in front of this and we need to control the narrative. And unfortunately, with the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, uh, my fear is that there might be a tendency for us in our own zealousness in our own uh, educational background, um, in our own, dare I say, theological system to try to control the narrative. Rather than letting God be in control and let the narrative dictate what our theology should be, what we actually believe about God. So as we dive into the second half of Daniel uh, chapter 2 here, 
I want you to keep that in mind. I don't want us to lose the story that's being told here. Um, I don't want us to jump ahead. I don't want us to start to try to figure things out. I want us to feel what it's like to be in the throne room of Nebuchadnezzar when his dream is revealed to him. Because I think if we stay in there, we get a, a beautiful picture of something that God is trying to communicate to us. So, our big idea again today is the God of heaven is in control. Trust in him. Trust in him. Very simple, very basic uh, principle of what we believe as, as Christians, as, as followers of Christ. Um, and we're going to see this in, in three different ways. Um, first, we're going to see that if we have confidence in the God of heaven, it will bring courage to us. Secondly, we'll, sing that, we'll see that it brings clarity to us. And finally, it brings conformity. Um, into the lives of the people who hear truth and trust it and know it to be truth here. So let's dive in here to Daniel chapter 2, verse 25. Daniel chapter 2, verse 25. And we're going to see right off the bat here that confidence in God brings courage. Starts off and says, Then Arioch brought uh, in Daniel before the king in haste, and said uh, thus to him, I have found among the exiles of Judah a man who is made no, will make known to the king the interpretation. So this guy comes in. Um, if you remember from our story last week, Arioch was the he was the chief of the of the guards. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had made a decree. The king had made a decree and said, "Listen, if no one can tell me what my dream is." And no one can tell me what the interpretation of my dream is uh, if none of my wise men, none of my magicians, none of my sorcerers, enchanters, uh, my Chaldeans, none of them can tell me what my dream is and what the interpretation of the dream is. I'm going to kill them all. So he sends Arioch out. He's kind of the general. He's, he's the one that's in, in charge here. And he says, listen, go kill them. Kill them all. And he shows up to Daniel's house, and Daniel says, no, 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 wait, 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 hang on. I can give the, the interpretation of the dream, because we read in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel was given by God the ability to interpret dreams and visions. God supernaturally planned beforehand that he would put an individual in the king's court that could solve this problem, and his name was Daniel. So Daniel says, stop. He says, hang on a second. Give me a minute. And he goes and finds Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, uh, three of his friends who are devoted followers of God, and they pray. And then Daniel in the night is given the interpretation of the dream, and he wakes up in the morning and he gives us this beautiful prayer. And he goes back to Arioch, and he says, take me before the king. And Arioch says, okay. Now remember, this wasn't Arioch's job. His job was not to find the interpretation of the dream. His job was not to find out what the dream was. His job was to kill the wise men. That's what the king decreed. He didn't say, listen, ask them first and then, you know, and then kill them if they say they can't do it. No. He says, go out, kill them all, destroy their families, destroy their houses, destroy everything. And I say that for a reason. Because confidence in God produces courage. And I want to show you here that that courage is contagious. Have you ever met someone that you're just like, man, I don't know what it is about this, this man or this woman here, but they are different. Uh, things don't necessarily bother them the way that they, they bother me. There is something about them that is contagious. There is something completely different about this individual. And inevitably, these, these people become leaders. They do. 
They become leaders in our life because we look at them and there's something about them that we say, man, I wish I could be like that. I think that's what's happening here. I think Daniel so convinced Arioch with his demeanor, with his manner, and God showed favor to Daniel by giving him favor in the sight of this chief of the guards here. And the chief of the guards is so confident that Daniel can do it that he comes in and says, I found the guy. Now many a preacher has taken this and been like, oh, Arioch's being arrogant. Look at him, he's like, I'm taking credit for what God did. I don't think he is. Because here's the reason. Number one, wasn't his job to find the dream or the interpretation. And number two, if Daniel's wrong, there's a good chance this guy's dead. Oh, you found him? You brought this knucklehead in? You brought the clown in that tried to save his own life? We saw last week that Nebuchadnezzar is already on to the schemes of the wise men and the enchanters, right? He says, listen, I see that you're trying to gain time. You guys are going to get together. You're going to talk about it. And then you're going to come up with some bogus interpretation of my dream if I tell you what the dream is. He says, no, tell me what the dream is. Tell me what the interpretation is. Ariok, an unbeliever here, sees the confidence of Daniel, sees that there is something completely different. And that confidence is contagious to the point where he's willing to put his head on the chopping block. He's willing to say, I've found this guy. So verse 26, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known the dream that I have seen and its interpretation. And Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show the king the mystery the king has asked. How many of you guys have ever been in sales? Raise your hand if you've ever been in sales. Okay, you've ever been in sales. How many of you guys have ever bought something from a salesperson? Okay, this is the worst thing you can do to them. All right, they think they have a sale. All right, Nebuchadnezzar here is, is like, hey, listen, he convinced the chief of the guards they didn't kill him. Like, he thinks he's got the answer here. And he's like, all right, Daniel, uh, this is one of the Hebrews that I, you know, that, that, that I took over here. Uh, Daniel, uh, can you do it? And Daniel starts off and starts saying, no, 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 no. If I'm the king, I'm sitting there, I'm listening to the first part of this sentence, and I'm going, here we go again. Like, I thought I had a sale here. I was so excited. But I don't have anything. But Daniel doesn't stop there. And he says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in later days, your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay on your bed are these. Now, there's some important things that Daniel says in here. He starts off by saying, no one can do it. Your enchanters, your magicians, your astrologers, he's basically saying to Nebuchadnezzar, they were right, okay? Last week we heard that they said no one in the earth can do this. Only the gods can do this and their dwelling is not with flesh. And Daniel confirms this. He says, but there is a God in heaven. Now we know this to be true. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't. Daniel knows this to be true. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't. But even his phrase is significant here. There is a God in heaven. See, I think he's making a statement to Nebuchadnezzar here. Uh, remember last week we, we told you that uh, Nebuchadnezzar prayed at his inauguration and he, he prayed to his God, Madoch, and he says, May my kingdom be an everlasting kingdom. Well, with Babylon, there were many gods. And one of the issues you have when you have many gods is that it's really hard to tell who's in control. 
Because these gods are battling against each other. They're battling for their will to be done. And Daniel comes in and says, there is one God in heaven. And he is a revealer of mysteries. And listen, Nebuchadnezzar, that God supernaturally reached down and spoke to you to tell you specifically what's going to happen in the latter days. What's coming next? He says, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, you have been touched by the Almighty. God has specifically done this for you to understand, O king. Now, if I'm the king, Daniel hasn't told me what the dream is yet. He hasn't told me what the interpretation is. But Daniel has piqued my interest now. Because now I'm, I'm intrigued. Because guess what? I'm special. I'm an only child. I love to be told I'm special, right? I mean, I know I'm special. Uh, he's the king of everything here. He knows he's special, but even Daniel is saying, listen, this one God of heaven reached down and said, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm giving you a vision. I feel special. Verse 29, to you, O king, as you lay in your bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he revealed the mysteries and made known to you what will be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than any of all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And we learned some things about God here. I, I think inadvertently here, if we're talking about theology and, and how we study things, I think we inadvertently learned something about um, evil spirits, demons, what Satan can and can't do. Because I'm convinced that these pagan uh, sorcerers and magicians, enchanters, um, they were definitely influenced by something greater than human beings. Okay, whether that's demons, whether that's Satan himself, I am convinced that the, the miracles, quote unquote, that they were able to do, the supernatural acts that they were able to do, were influenced by Satan. But Satan cannot read the thoughts of the king's mind. There is only one being that can do that. That is our God in heaven. He knows the intentions of our heart. He knows the things that keep us up at night. He knows our dreams. He knows everything. And he is the only one that's able to reveal this. Daniel says, listen, you're looking at me and I'm just one guy in this entire earth. It's not because I'm smart enough. Okay, It's not because uh, you have trained me so well in these two years that, that I have somehow figured this out. It's not because of any of your gods that I'm able to do this because all of your top guys couldn't do it. There's only one individual who knows the thoughts of your heart and the thoughts of your mind. And that is the God of heaven. I don't know about you, but that's incredibly encouraging to me. Um, you know, sometimes we, uh, we get caught up in things. And I, I love that, that Dr. Sayer this morning talked about our heart. Our heart is deceitfully wicked. It is capable of, of anything, any atrocity that's happened on this earth. Our heart is fully capable of it. The New Testament tells us, listen, we don't even need to... We don't even need to um, we don't even need to do the act of, of murder. If we hate someone in our heart, we've, we've murdered them. We don't need to commit the, uh, the, the act of adultery. If we have looked lustfully on a man or a woman, we've already committed it in our heart. Our hearts are important, but they are deceitfully wicked above all things. They're capable of, of anything that we can, we can imagine and think of. Now, I do believe at times that Satan can influence human beings. I believe that Satan is the uh, greatest uh, student of human behavior that has ever existed. 
I believe that he can place things in your path. But he already knows that he just needs to push the right buttons and your heart will follow. See, the king's heart right now is troubled. And the only person that can untrouble his heart is God. And Daniel tells that to the king. He says to the king, listen, the king, ca- uh, the, the king of kings, the God of heaven cares about you so much that he sent me to reveal to you the thoughts of your mind and the interpretation of those thoughts. Verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding, of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Remember, no one knows what the king's dream is. Okay? He was asked to do two things, Daniel. Reveal the dream. Give me the interpretation. Daniel starts off with the more difficult of the problems here. He's going to tell him what the dream was. The king will know right off of the bat whether Daniel is real, for real, or not for real. Whether the God of heaven that he claims is going to give him the power to do this can do it or not. And he says, king, behold, you saw a great image and it was mighty and full of brightness. It stood before you and its appearance was frightening. That word frightening there. Think of, think of the word awesome. It was awe-inspiring. That's what that word means. You stood before it, O powerful and great king, and you were in awe of it. It was so much bigger than you. It was so much greater. It was so bright. It was beautiful in a sense. And you were mesmerized by it. You were stuck in that image. Verse 32 And the head of this image was of fine gold and the chest and the arms of silver and the middle and the thighs of bronze and the legs of iron, its feet partially iron and partially clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces." Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. Now if I'm Nebuchadnezzar, And I sit there, and I'm like, listen, all of these wise men, the astrologers, my magicians, everybody that I hold dear to me, everybody who's supposed to tell me what's going on when I don't understand, none of them can do what I have asked them to do. I have told no one what my dream is. And remember, this is the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's rule. So there's a good chance that Daniel is still just a teenager. This boy walks in and he tells me what my dream is. I, I don't, I've never had my mind read, okay? Maybe sometimes my wife asks me to read her mind. But I've never had my, my mind read. I've made, a, I've made a decree here. As the king, I've said, read my mind or you die. And this boy comes up. And he reads my thoughts, my dreams. Something that no one else can do. I was in awe of the image that I saw. But now I'm in awe of this boy who's standing there. I I can't figure it out. Uh, it's like a record, you know, it's skipping. Like my brain just keeps skipping and skipping. Uh, maybe a more modern term. You guys are on your computer and the, you know, the thing is just spinning, you know, and you're, you're sitting there and it's buffering and you're like, I, I don't know. Like my head just, just skipped a beat. I didn't expect for this day to go this way. 
I thought to myself I was going to be in agony over this dream for the rest of my life because no one could tell me what it is. And Daniel says there is a God in heaven and he tells him exactly what it is. I want to highlight a few things here that are different than the second time in the interpretation because I don't want to I don't want to necessarily <laughs> I don't want to necessarily um, uh, uh, take away from what the narrative actually says of the interpretation here, but I just want to make some observations here about this dream um, that are not necessarily uh, highlighted in a sense in the way that they are the first time that Daniel reveals it here. Uh, the first is that there is a stone cut out from no human hands and it struck the image uh, on the feet of the iron and the clay. Um, we have to ask ourselves, uh, is it significant that they're not made with, that this stone is not made with human hands? Uh, and I think it is significant. Daniel's going to tell us a little bit of why that's, that's significant. Uh, is it significant that it strikes the feet of the statue? I think it's significant. Okay, um, uh, you may get into some of the semantics of thinking about this and say, okay, which direction did the stone come from? Um, well, it says that it, it came, uh, it was cut out of no human hands and it struck the image on the feet of the iron and the clay. So it came from some height, came down and struck the, the feet. Um, at that point, we can deduce all sorts of fun theological uh, things uh, from that. But remember, we're trying to stay inside the, the throne room here. Um, and the next sort of unique piece here, it says it became like the chaff of the summer th uh, threshing floor. For some reason, I keep tr tripping over those words there, threshing floor. Uh, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them can be found. This image that Nebuchadnezzar sees, this terrible, frightening, awe-inspiring image is completely destroyed by this stone. So much so that this image is not just destroyed and broken apart and laid on the ground there. It's decimated. It begins to blow away. The, 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 the image is vaporized. Okay, It becomes like dust. And it floats away so that no one even remembers that it's there or was ever there. I think that's significant. The last thing is that the stone struck the image and it became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. So Daniel gets done and he says, this, O king, is what you saw I'm going to now give you the interpretation. And what we're to see here in these two sections is that confidence in God, it brings clarity. Daniel has clarity here. Daniel says, listen, God, you have revealed it to me in his dream. He says very specific things that we're going to talk about in, a or in his prayer. He says very specific things that we're going to talk about in a second. But Daniel is clear on what he is communicating here. And I want to tell you, Nebuchadnezzar right now, is clear in the fact that this guy is different. There is a clarity in his mind that he has found the individual who is now going to give him the correct interpretation of the dream here. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, interesting, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might and the glory might sound a little familiar to you guys. And, uh, and unto whose hand has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of heaven, making you rule over them, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule the whole earth. Then there shall be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron it crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And you saw the feet and the toes partially of potter's clay and partially of iron. It shall be a divided kingdom. 
but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, and just as you saw the iron mixed, uh, just as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay. And as for the toes and the feet were partially mixed with clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. So Daniel kind of goes through the layers of this awesome image that he sees again. And he explains those layers to the king. But before he does, he kind of puffs up the king for a second here. And he uses terminology that we would sort of associate with only belonging to God in a sense. He says, you are the king of kings. How many times have we heard the, the phrase that uh, the kingdom of heaven is give, uh, power and might and glory? This idea that, that power and might and glory. We know as Christians where that actually belongs. But Daniel says it to the king. But there is very one very important little word or phrase in there that Daniel includes. And he says to the king... That God has given these to you. Now, if I'm Nebuchadnezzar, I'm stepping back for a second. I'm like, I never met him. He never gave anything to me. I've never prayed to him. I've never done anything to him. I've never done anything for him. Why should he give me such a great gift? I've built this. I've made it. My dad conquered the Assyrians. We built this. We built this city. No, worst song in the world. Um, uh, you know, we, we, but we built this. This is our might, our power, our glory. No king, no God, no, nobody gave this to me. But I'm conflicted because I'm sitting here and Daniel told me exactly what my dream is. Oh, there's a storm going on in my heart right now. And I'm starting to get a little nervous here. I thought the dream was scary. I'm a little scared right now. There is a God that I've been neglecting. Uh, Daniel has just told me that this is the God that's given me everything. I'm a little nervous. He goes on. He says, listen, king, another kingdom, in verse 39, inferior to yours shall arise. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the whole earth. The news, Nebuchadnezzar, is that you prayed that your kingdom will last forever. It's not going to make it too far past your son, to be honest with you. And we know that from the book of Daniel. The truth is that the kingdom of Babylon, it's only about 90 years, is how long the kingdom of Babylon was actually in power over an entire empire. Babylon was in existence for far longer than that, but as far as an empire, a world power, a kingdom, they got about 90 years. And that was it. And a kingdom inferior to theirs took them over. That's a, that's a hard pill to swallow, okay? I'm an Eagles fan, okay? I was telling everybody, everybody who would listen to me, I'm like, listen, we don't need to be afraid of the Kansas City Chiefs. I said, their quarterback's hurt, everybody's hurt. You know, we used to have their, their, you know, their head coach, we kicked him out. We're like, you can't win a championship, you're gone. This is our time. This is our team. We are the better team. That's what God says to Nebuchadnezzar here. He says, listen, you're the better team. You're the head of gold. But one inferior to you, a silver nation, is going to come and take you over. That's a tough pill to swallow. We know we're better. We know we're better than them. The problem is that we're going to see in a second is they're not necessarily stronger than the head of gold. See, as we go down this, this image that God has revealed, yes, the value is at the top. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then iron and clay at the bottom. 
The value definitely goes from the top down as far as the image that God reveals to Nebuchadnezzar here. But the strength, just before we get to the feet, kind of goes the other way, right? Gold is, it's precious, but it's relatively soft as it comes to, to metal. How many of you guys have ever tried to play baseball or golf with your, with your wedding ring on? Like I bent my, well, I don't even, even wear it anymore because it's so bent out of shape. I've also put on quite a bit of weight, but, um, you know, it doesn't fit anymore. Um, but I've, I've bent that thing up because it's so soft. You hit a baseball with your, well, maybe I'm just really strong. I don't know. But I hit a baseball and that thing, that thing just bends. I know, that, I know that I'm supposed to hold the golf club like a, like a bird. I'm supposed to hold it like really, you know, really soft. And I do. I just grip the heck out of it um, because I just, I want to hit it as far as I can. But it's a soft metal. Silver is stronger. Bronze, brass, it's stronger. Iron is definitely stronger, but the feet, they're not as strong. He makes some observations here about, the, uh, about the, each of the, the kingdoms here. Um, and he only says of the second one that it's inferior. Somehow inferior. We know this to be the, uh, the Medo-Persian or the Prussian Empire here. Um, the, the Persian Empire that, that would come in um, and, uh, and they would take over here um, the the, under this kingdom, um, Ezra, Nehemiah would be allowed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild some of what Nebuchadnezzar has, um, has destroyed here. But then the following kingdom comes, and it's of bronze or, or brass. Looking back at history, we can see that uh, the unique uh, thing that's mentioned here in Scripture is that they shall rule over the whole earth. If any of you know about the next empire that comes along, it's Greece. Um, and they have a guy whose name's Alex, not Trebek, even though smart guy, um, Alexander the Great. Alexander comes in, and he basically takes over the whole known world at that point. And he does it fairly quickly. It's shocking to the world how fast Alexander moves throughout it. But Alexander is destroyed and taken over by a kingdom of iron, which we believe to be Rome. And it says that this empire is one of iron and that it crushes. And if we know anything about the Romans, the Romans loved to crush people. They didn't just want to take you over, they wanted to utterly destroy you. Rome was iron. He says of Rome, though, that just as they are of iron and crush things, they'll be crushed as well. They'll shatter and break into pieces. The funny thing about Rome, too, is that Rome wasn't really taken over by another empire. Rome just kind of imploded on itself um, in the end. There wasn't another empire to come along and, and take over here. It kind of became this strange time in the world where there wasn't a major world power or, or empire. And then we're left in this image with this idea of these feet that are somehow a mixture of iron and clay together. And what do we do with this? Because again, we can look back at history and we could say, oh wow, God, listen, you planned all of this. Don't get me wrong, guys. God is not predicting what is going to happen. Remember, God is in complete control. He is revealing to Nebuchadnezzar here specifically what is going to happen because he has planned it this way. Not because God has seen into the future and says, oh, listen, I have this ability to see into the future and I know that mankind and kingdoms are just out of control and I can see what's going to happen. God says, no, 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 no. I set up kingdoms. I take them down. How do we know that? We know that to be true of all of scripture, but that's what Daniel prays just before. He says, God, you set up kingdoms. In, I, th I believe it's verse 21. He says, you set up kingdoms. You tear them down. You give might. You give wisdom. You are the one in complete control so that when Daniel walks into this throne room here, he walks in with courage 
and clarity. He looks at that king who to most people is terrifying and he says, I don't need to be afraid of you because the king of kings has revealed something to me. He's revealed a mystery that I'm going to communicate to you clearly, strongly. Now this is where we try to control the narrative sometimes in our theological systems. Because we, we see all of those other kingdoms and we're like, yeah, this is exciting. All right, God's doing something here. It's great. And we can see that God, God knew what was going to happen because he planned it because he's in control. And then we come to the feet of iron and clay. And this is where everybody's kind of like, eh, I don't know. Uh, Shauna sent my wife this week a, uh, a thing from, from a book that she's reading. And uh, Shauna, I don't know if it got to it on the next page, but uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't cover the, the feet and the, and the clay here. And I jokingly said to Julie, I was like, that's because nobody wants to touch anybody's feet. Um, but it's, you know, it just, it left it alone. Again, because it's the unknown in this image here. The only thing that we know for sure about this, these feet that are somehow iron and clay here is that a stone not cut with human hands is going to strike those feet and it's going to destroy the whole thing. That stone will someday become a mountain and that mountain will be an everlasting kingdom. That's all we know from the narrative. That's it. That in these feet, something's going to happen. To be honest with you, if we stayed into the throne room, we don't even know about Persia. We don't even know about Greece. We don't even know about Rome. We know one thing, that someday that image is going to be destroyed and replaced with something completely different. And that day is going to happen during the feet and the clay. Somehow it's going to happen. Now, from the narrative here, as we, as we read here, uh, pick it up here in verse 42. It says, and as the toes of the feet were partially iron and partially clay, so the kingdom will be partially strong and partially brittle. Verse 43 gives us a little bit of a better picture if we stay inside the narrative here of what this, these feet of iron and clay might be. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so it will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor the kingdom shall be left, uh, the kingdom shall not be left to another people. It shall break into pieces, these kingdoms, and bring them to an end, and shall stand forever." Just as you saw the stone was cut from a mountain by no human hands and that it broke into pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is true. Feet, iron and clay mixed together. They don't mix well. But they shall be joined together in marriage. See, we talked about two things about this image at the beginning, and I think it gives us clarity, and I think we can say this with a certain amount of confidence here. I think the first thing it talks about is the preciousness, that the, the head is made of gold, and then silver, and then bronze, and then iron, and then just junk, basically, at the bottom, right? There's a a clear delineation of, of everything throwing down there. Then other than the feet, there's the opposite way, that this is stronger than this and stronger than this and stronger than this. But we all know that, listen, the most important thing for the stability of any building or structure or statue is its base, right? What it stands on. And it's sitting on this weird thing that really shouldn't be able to hold it up, but for some reason it does. But I want to focus on this word marriage here. I believe wholeheartedly, okay, if you want an interpretation that I will take to, I don't know, if you put a gun to my head, said, hey, tell me what this means. This is what I'm going to tell you it means. That someday all the, all the kingdoms of this world will join in marriage, with one another, in a show of strength, 
in a show of strength that the strong will bind with the weak someday. That they will all come together in one mind for one reason. And if we read the book of Revelation, we know that that reason is to come against God. And that God will utterly destroy them on that day. I think we can read that with confidence. I think we can say there will be a day where all of the kings of this world will join together in this strange kingdom where they come together and they agree on one thing. And that thing is that God needs to die. That he's wrong. And we will all join against him. Now this stone, it's cut without human hands. The best part of our story here. This is not a new phrase to the Old Testament, that there needed to be a stone not cut with hands. Uh, Just before this, uh, several months ago, I preached through uh, the book of Exodus, and we talked about the altar, and the altar that was to go into the tabernacle, and there was something specific about this altar that had to be. Does anybody remember anything that had to be about this altar that they put in the tabernacle? Do you remember? No one, no one could touch it. Even before it was an altar, it, it wasn't to be shaped in any way. It was just to be a pile of rocks that were put together. You know, several times in the Old Testament, in, in prophecy here, from now, Jesus, the Savior, the, the one, the Messiah who is coming, would be referred to as a stone. And the significance of it not being touched or hewn in any way, or formed in any way by human hands, I think we're supposed to look at this image that that Nebuchadnezzar sees, and we see that man has thought that he has built this great image. That he has made something that is going to stand forever, that is beautiful and awe-inspiring and scary to a point. But it doesn't stand a chance against this rock. That's coming to crush it. And this rock that is coming to crush it won't just crush it. It's going to turn it into fine dust so that it floats away. There's going to come a day when this rock strikes the feet and the kingdom of heaven is realized on this earth. That it is completely, all human kingdoms are completely erased. It is not left to another human being, the kingdom of heaven. It is a kingdom that will never end, that will last forever. It is completely different than the statue. It is stronger and it is permanent. It cannot be erased and it will not be forgotten. But Greece, Rome, Babylon, dare I say it, our young country of the United States, forgotten, gone. There are people today that maybe they've heard of Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe they've heard of the Babylonian kingdom, the world. But it's starting to fade. Persia, heck, if there weren't... um, If there weren't movies made in the last 15 to 20 years, I don't think anybody would know really uh, anything about, uh, you know, Prussia or anything, anything about them. Persia, not Prussia. Persia. Prussia was something different. Don't don't get those confused. I'm still in Philly talking about King of Prussia. Um, Persia. People would forget. See, I can't even get the name right. Look at that. Um, You know, it's just going to fade away. It's going to be gone. Guys, I believe wholeheartedly that someday all the nations of this world, all the kingdoms will rage against God and they will be brought low. I am 100% certain of that. I have clarity on that because I have confidence in God. Our last verses here, Daniel chapter 2, verses 46, we are going to see the response of the king to all of these Things, the fact that Daniel was able to reveal the dream, the fact that, that, uh, that we, uh, you know, something amazing just happened in his courtroom, that the, the dream was revealed, the interpretation was revealed, and this is the king's response in verse 46. The king fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of incense be offered up to him. 
king fell on his face. What else fell in our story? Image fell in our story. Guys, the reason I want the narrative to dictate the meaning here, I want the narrative to control what we we think about this. I believe this setting right here is a microcosm of what's going to happen in the end. I believe that the greatest kings of this world will be brought low. I believe, as we read in Isaiah earlier, that knees will bow, tongues will confess, allegiances will be made to the God of heaven. And I believe that in Philippians chapter 2, it talks about the humility of Christ and then ends in Philippians chapter 2 with the fact that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that there is one who is Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. I believe 100% that this rock that comes and crushes the feet of this image is the person of Jesus Christ. That he was sent from the God of heaven. And that when he comes back, his kingdom will be set up and it will be an everlasting kingdom on this earth. And this is the choice that each and every one of us has. Each one of us is like Nebuchadnezzar. When we hear the truth of scripture, we have a choice of how we respond. Do we blow it off? Eh, interesting. Cool. You filled an hour, 45 minutes, however long we've gone so far. That's nice. Or do you look at it and respond like Nebuchadnezzar did? See, Nebuchadnezzar sees the courage in Daniel. He hears the clarity with which God has revealed these things to him and it results in what the result will be eventually for everyone but should be in our lives, which is conformity. He falls flat on his face and he looks at Daniel. Now maybe he does the wrong thing in offering something to Daniel because he's still confused, but he falls flat on his face. He commands that an offering be made to Daniel. Remember, he's just been told bad news. Your kingdom's gone. His son is gonna get even worse news in Daniel. His son's gonna get the news from Daniel on that night. Hey, listen, this night, Your kingdom's taken away from you and it's given to another. But the king has just heard these things. He falls flat on his face. Verse 47. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the God of gods and your Lord uh, and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. This is exactly what Daniel says to him. He says, I'm going to tell you the dream. I'm going to tell you the interpretation. But there's something greater for you to understand. That there is a God in heaven. Your gods, they're nothing compared to him. He is a revealer of mysteries. And this mystery that has haunted your heart and your mind, that has kept you up at night, he has revealed to you for a reason. And the reason is to bring you low right now for you to confess that you're not in control. God's in control. That you are powerless apart from him. He has given it to you. And he has showed me these things. I'm not smart enough. Daniel Daniel says, I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. God revealed these things to me. Verse 48 Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him the ruler over the whole province of Babylon. And the chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. Side note here, again, I I love that they use the term wise men here. Um, There's a part of me that hopes someday we find out in heaven. Again, this is free information. Maybe I'm letting my theology dictate the story a little bit. Um, But... I think it'd be really cool if we find out that the wise men that came uh, to, uh, to honor the king uh, actually came from the training that Daniel gave these uh, wise men from the east. That would be pretty neat if we find that out someday. Bible doesn't say that, but that would be pretty cool to find out someday. Uh, but Daniel's put in charge of all the wise men of Babylon. 
And Daniel makes a request of the king. He appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. What a great story, guys. What an amazing story of how God is in control. Um, he is, he's not just in control of the big details. He doesn't just bring kings low. God is in control of, of every area of our life. When we face those storms, Deffendorf's, when we get that phone call, God's still in control, right? He's still in control of everything. Even if we were to get bad news yesterday, he's still in control. It's easy when we get good news, right? I got to tell you guys, when I walked through the ICU yesterday to see Fred, I had, I had flashbacks of many conversations that I've had with people over the years about how God is in control and the outcome isn't what we would have hoped for. That's a tough day. You know what? Nebuchadnezzar's having one of those days where yes, there is tremendous relief like we experienced the other day. Tremendous relief in the fact that the turmoil of his heart is now settled but now he's got something else to worry about. My kingdom is going to be taken away from me. Remember how I told you guys that the stories are important, that they're told for a reason? Who knows what Daniel chapter 3 is about? Somebody. Good Sunday school teacher. Come on. We just end it with three guys. Yeah, the fiery furnace, right? But what, why are they in the fiery furnace? Oh, go ahead. Oh, wait a minute. King Nebuchadnezzar who says, your God is the God of gods. Your God is the King of kings. Your God is Lord. He is in control. He's the revealer of mysteries. And this image I saw is going to be washed away and it's going gonna, it's gonna to go away. What's the first thing I do? What's the next story that's told about me? I make a big golden image. Interesting, guys. No matter what God says, in the face of insurmountable evidence, the kingdoms of this world are still going to rage. All throughout the book of Daniel, kingdoms are viewed as beasts. They're beasts, in, especially in the prophecy section here. Here's my encouragement to you guys today. The nations are going to rage. The world's going to seem out of control at times. We're not going to necessarily know what's going to happen next. Every single detail is not going to be revealed to us. Just like we don't know exactly what the feet of iron and clay are. It's a mystery that has not been revealed to us yet. God is still in control. Even though you don't know, God is still in control. His Trusting in him, confidence in him brings courage, it brings clarity, and finally, it brings conformity. Guys, my encouragement to you is to live like Daniel lived. Be bold. Be courageous. When there is truth that you know to be true because you've read it in scripture here, because it's come from the source of truth, preach it. Preach it boldly. Don't just preach it, though. Allow it to change your life, your heart. Allow it to bring your life in conformity to him. Guys, we're all Nebuchadnezzar to a point. We've all been faced with truth. The truth of the Bible is this, is that someday the stone that has already come once to die for our sins, to give us this reconciliation with God because we have sinned against him, because we are disobedient. This powerful rock came in humility and suffered and died. It was rejected by those who should have welcomed him. And he died for each one of us. He sacrificed himself for our needs. This is the reality that we live in. This is the truth that we have today. This is the mystery that has been revealed to us. And he's coming again. How will you respond? Will you respond in conformity to his word? 
Will you say that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, will you follow him? Will you walk in a manner worthy? Will there be courage and clarity and confidence in your life and conformity to his word? Or are you going to be crushed by the rock? Those are your two options. Here's my advice. Choose wisely. Choose wisely.